Hello and welcome to Eerie Essex. We've got a special episode for you today. Episode number three we recorded live at Culture Arts Centre as part of the Unfamiliars. Unfamiliars is a zine that is put together by the wonderful Gemma Garwood who asked us to appear on this show and we're very grateful. Thank you Gemma for the opportunity and to everyone who's listening who was there on the night we hope you enjoyed and anyone who wasn't there we hope so you enjoyed too. The, the Unfamiliars has been is an event that's been running for quite a while. Basically every well I think she only does three a year now. Gemma puts out a subject notice and people contribute to the evening with their own take on that subject. So this subject was folk, which we fitted quite nicely into that. Yeah, that's our bag. Yes, quite. And you can find the Unfamiliars on Instagram at unfamiliars.zine or on Facebook, they're just unfamiliars. So we should probably talk about how nervous we were before we started recording the show. And how much indigestion we had because we ate a massive Wagamama's meal far too quickly beforehand. Oh gosh, it was so good though. <laughs> it was so good. And then we spent a large amount of time in what's for me, I don't know about you, I felt so posh. We were in the green room. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, the Culture Arts Centre is fantastic. I've been going there since I was about 15 years old and then seeing the green room, it's like the curtain had been pulled back, literally. When and I kept made- on thinking like, I've seen Tim Minchin here. Tim Minchin's been in this green room. Kimia, Kimia Dawson's been in this green room. Um, and I was sending photos to my videos to my friends going, I'm sitting where Tim Minchin might have sat. <laughs> yes, you will see a few pictures of us on the night on our Instagram feed looking at the same time excited and horrified at what was to come because we had no idea. And um, we were singing... Yeah, we were a bit worried in case anyone heard us. One of our calming down techniques just out of nowhere was singing Flight the Concord songs, which we discovered we didn't know all the words to, so made a large portion of it up. But It, it was, a, it was more of a medley of Flight of the Concord songs, of one yeah. bits we could remember. Yes. I, do, I do find those calming. It's something I've done before when I've, ner- when I've been nervous is um, sing Flight of the Concord songs. Well, I'm going to do it from here on in. <laughs> And I, it for me. I taught you my my uh, calming breathing technique, didn't I? Yes. So maybe any, you explain what you do. So you put your tongue just behind your teeth and you push up. Um, and whilst you're doing that, you breathe in for four seconds through your nose and then seven seconds out through your mouth past your tongue. And it has a really weird kind of effect. It's, I think it's like an autonomic um, effect but you do just feel calmer for a few minutes. Probably because you look so daft. And I think we caught sight of each other doing it. And then <laughs> the hilarity. And then bits of giggles erupted. Yes. I think it's honestly the first time either of us has really been on stage. But I think, I think we did all right. <laughs> and since we did the recording, I mean, it's not Essex, but it, I, I, I was excited. I know you were excited. There's been well, some it's, pretty... It's near where I was born. New. Well, well, there you go. It's well, it is connected then because it's where our lovely Elsa was. Well, it's actually where Sean was born. We used to, um, my brother. Sorry, we used to joke that he'd been swapped with the Loch Ness monster at birth. So it explains a lot. Yeah, it does. I do love Sean. <laughs> well, uh, there you go. There's the clue. Loch Ness. I wonder which cryptid we could be talking about. It's Nessie. Nessie. Newsflash. Nessie has been spotted again. 
but this time I think with technology getting better with more people having drones most cameras these days are even phone cameras like 4k the shots of her or him or they are getting better and more numerous so in 2020 she was spotted 13 times which is the most the, the most number of sightings in one year and I don't know if everybody's seen it. We'll post a link to the news report on our Instagram feed and show notes. But someone, was it a wilderness camp? It was um, somebody doing a, uh, I think they were swimming Loch Ness for charity. I think it was an Alzheimer's charity they were they were raising funds for. That's right. And as part of the promotion, they did a drone. They, they were just filming along the shoreline. And we're zooming in on a group of people, whether they were involved with the swim or not. But as they zoomed in, a very familiar shape started surfacing and going to the edge. What do you make of it? I mean, I looked at the, I, I haven't seen the video, but I saw a photo of it. And it does look very um, Nessie-like. And the person mm. who um, captured the footage uh, said he's a complete skeptic he didn't believe in anything like this and it took him about five times until he saw what had appeared in his footage so he seems quite a you know a, he wasn't doing it for any other reason than to the fact he was raising money for a charity it does seem um, quite credible because I think he didn't he uploaded the video but then didn't notice anything until people started commenting hmm. underneath which you know does lend some credibility to it and I've seen the video and it's it, it you know it looks like it could be I think I just if, want it to be or if if we could prove that Nessie was real how, how much of a nicer world would it be if nothing else it's probably garnered a lot of interest in the charity and hopefully got them some donations yes if nothing else so I'm sure in the link we provide there'll be a link to that as well so check it out let us know what you think on instagram or wherever you find us wherever you find us. under your bed that we probably the closet door <laughs> <laughs> well um, you might have guessed the theme for this episode then is cryptids so we'll bring it closer to home now so we're back in essex we're out of the highlands back in the flatlands nessie does get a name drop early on in the episode though yes she does to be fair um, and just uh, before we dive into the show, something we felt was right to raise, um, a trigger warning, one of our stories today will touch on the subject of suicide. So, And we have touched on that subject in the past, and we're sorry we haven't raised a trigger warning before. Um, from now on, we will be raising them where we feel it's necessary. Where there's a sensitive subject coming up, so... Mm -hmm. Um, which story is it, Elsa, just in case people... It's the the second one of my stories, the last story I tell at the end. Okay, but we do hope you enjoy the show. So here is the live episode of Eerie Essex. Our first act are some wonderful, wonderful ladies from Eerie Essex, which is a brand new podcast, and I am delighted, delighted that they agreed to do this today because by this time next year, they're going to be too famous to come and do 
unfamiliar is with me. So without further ado, I think we are going to begin. I'd like to introduce to you Erie Essex. tonight to the unfamiliars on folk i'm bethan and i'm ailsa and this is our the this is the first live recording of our podcast eerie essex have any of you listened to us before yeah Yeah. oh that's brilliant brilliant yeah we have a few listeners who know what to expect that's okay if you haven't heard of us before though we're like Gemma said we're nearly completely brand new we've only got two previous episodes so we thought three is the magic number why not record it live and hopefully that's enough to avoid any hiccups. Uh, you're going to experience firsthand how many times we say, um, and screw up. Please don't make a drinking game out of it. We were going to suggest it, but then realised you would be hospitalised. So please don't. <laughs> For those of you who haven't listened before, we take it in turns to tell each, other, tell each other creepy, weird, and fantastical stories, whilst the other one reacts with gasps, <gasps> gags, and laughing their ass off. Tonight, if we have time, we're going to tell you three fantastical tales from Essex folklore. But first, I actually have a story about the art centre itself. Um, So I just want to set the tone and hopefully make some of you reconsider where you're seating, particularly the people over there. Sorry. (laughs) So this was told to us by Mick Newman. I don't know if Mick's here tonight, but it's a... I'm uh, going to share a mixed story, and in his words, our first gig of the year, only me in the building. I just finished setting out all the chairs and was sitting on the front stage rolling a cigarette. So picture it here now. Sat there. A filthy habit, apparently, and one I kicked a good while ago. I looked up and thought something along the lines of, that's weird. My cigarette smoke is already over by the fire door. Well, hang on, I'm still rolling it. So I hopped off the front of the stage and walked into what I assumed was smoke, but it was already dissipating, only for my legs to go cold from the knee down as the smoke disappeared altogether. And you can't come up with an explanation for that one. So everyone over here, keep an eye out for some strange mists tonight. Not just the mist Not just coming this. off the stage. <laughs> but now on to our main topic. And we thought for this episode, we'd talk about cryptids. Now, what is a cryptid? Well, it's a creature whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated. So think the Yeti, the Mothman, Nessie, Beast of Bodmin, Moore, Jacob Rees-Mogg. You know, they're all on the list. But this week, it's Elsa's turn first to tell you her story. So I'll hand over to you. Right. Well, in Saffron Walden, which is northwest Essex, not too far from Audley End, they seem to have been unlucky enough to be attacked by not one, but two deadly serpents. 
The first recording of these stories came from a newspaper dated 1699. The bold headline proclaims, Strange news out of Essex, a true relation of a monstrous serpent seen at Henham on the Mound in Saffron Walden. And that is a real mouthful to say. That is. Well done. (laughs) William Winstanley, the author of this paper, was a local man. But his story reached London and entertained the masses there. An original pamphlet is still in the British Museum's collection to this day. And it actually inspired, inspired Sarah Perry's book, The Essex Serpent. The pamphlet describes a warm, sunny day disturbed when a horseman approaching the village saw basking on a sunny bank by the edge of the birchwood a creature like he had never seen before. The serpent was as thick as a man's thigh. (laughs) It was some nine feet long. It had a small pair of wings at the front of the body. The beast was full of razor-sharp teeth and had the baleful eyes of a sheep. On seeing it, the horseman... Uh, on seeing the horseman, it raised its four parts some two feet off the ground, surprisingly, <laughs> and delivered a blood-curdling hiss. Uh, so the tra- traveller, obviously scared out of his wick, um, raced back to the village where he told everyone what he'd seen, and surprisingly enough, no one laughed him out of the village. And in fact, the men went with him back to the point um, near the birchwood with some homemade uh, weapons to try and scare the snake off, or the massive serpent off. Um, and they did encounter it again when they got there, and it did some more rearing and gazing baefully. But no one was brave enough to get close, and eventually the serpent ran off. But for many days afterwards, the surrounding towns and villages, people travelled to the Birchwood to indulge in a spot of serpent hunting. And the creature was seen over and over again, but nobody dared attack it. And for all accounts, the serpent didn't actually attack anyone either. Then there came a day when the serpent was seen no more, even though the wood was beaten from end to end. (laughs) Apart from the young man who wrote the account, it's also testified to be the truth by the local church warden, the constable, and for some reason the overseer of the poor. Above one of the columns in the aisle of the Henham Church is carved a small stone representation of a dragon with a knotted tail. And some people think that maybe the carving came first and inspired the story. Some people think the other way around. Chicken or the egg? Yeah, well, it's, I mean... The basilisk is sort of hatched under a chicken egg, so... (laughs) Generally, this, uh, like I was about to say, generally the serpent is described as a basilisk. Um, So the legend goes, anyone who looks at a basilisk dies immediately. And there's not, so there's not a lot of first-hand accounts about what it actually looks like. There are three descriptions of the mythical basilisk. A huge lizard, or a giant snake, or a composite of a reptile and a rooster, often with the head plumage and the front legs of a rooster... Um, and a reptilian tail and some scaly bat wings. This last form is often described as the cockatrice. And I don't know about you, but I keep thinking about how animals are depicted in medieval illustrations. Oh, on the edges of the paper. Yeah, I saw a great one the other day that was meant to be a crocodile and it looked more like a spiky dog. Yeah, you have to wonder, like, even like something as simple as a cat sometimes can look like an alligator. So. so I think this tale is a little bit like those illustrations where it's a composite of a lot of medieval misunderstanding. And a lot of drinking, maybe. Yeah, probably a lot of drinking. But there is a much older story about um, a creature in Saffron Walden. This time it is described as a cockatrice and had the head and legs of a cockerel and the wings of a bat and the body of a serpent. Quite ridiculously, this cryptid is described as being only a foot long, but apparently still managed to kill quite a lot of people and livestock. 
Much like the basilisk, it could not be touched with spears as the person holding the weapon would drop dead. Its eyes were also said to kill people instantly if it happened to glance your way. It also breathed fire. So now if you'd like to imagine a chicken running around, breathing fire and glaring people to death, we invite you to do so now. The cockatrice, having practically emptied the village of Saffron Walden, either by killing its res- residents or scaring the bejesus out of them, was eventually defeated by a knight in glass armour, which reflected the deadly, the, deadly stare, bleh, the deadly stare of the chicken, sorry, cockatrice, um, back at itself, killing it. And I think I find the story hilarious because I have a traumatic past with chickens chasing me. Oh, what happened? Some chickens chased me. Oh, right. <laughs> They're horrible. It. Have you met a chicken? Yes, I have. <laughs> Seems like you came off worse, though. I did. I fell in the, in the poo. <laughs> and there was another thing about this. Do you remember that song, Back for Lash- Lashes, The Glass Knight? Apparently that is... The Glass Knight actually features in a lot of other medieval tales. Oh, does it start so with this one? I th- well, some people think it starts with this one. Oh. But I was thinking maybe it's actually... Um, it comes from, like, an older background. Maybe it comes from the sort of the myth of Medusa. Ah, and also, there is um, an opera written about the cockatrice and the glass knight. It's called Glass Knight. It was composed by Philip Sunderland and performed by local school children quite recently. It was a great way to keep the folklore alive. That's nice that it's still going. Yeah, I think that's lovely. I mean, we're doing our bit and they're yeah. writing a whole opera and we're just talking about scary chickens. There you go. So you heard the scary <laughs> chicken story here too. <laughs> well, I went to South End for my story. Has anyone here heard of the Rat Man of Southend? No? I shall share it with you then, because I hadn't (laughs) either. So this story centres on an underpass in uh, Queensway, which is near Southend Victoria Station. And there are two main versions of the story. One quite sad and one quite fantastical. So I'll tell you the sad one first. So this involves a homeless man who used to seek shelter from the weather in the underpass. And one night, a group of drunks found him and after beating him badly, stole his blanket, which was his only defense against the bitter cold. Unable to move, he died of hypothermia and was found in the morning with his face eaten by rats. Oh, my God. Um, He's said to haunt the underpass ever since, with locals reporting hearing strange sounds along the walls, scratching, swarms of rats' feet scurrying along the floor... And some people have even claimed to have seen the figure of a man that has no face. (laughs) The second story is the much more fanciful one. Definitely owes some of its past genesis to schoolyard urban legends and children's folklore. So stories that start with children are passed on by children, have very little input from adults, and with each retelling becomes more fantastical again. So in this tale, the mayor of the town was supposed to have been a well-known adulterer and as punishment was cursed with a monstrous child. It had an elongated snout, large ears, a worm-like tail, and as the child grew, it developed a taste for human flesh, as you do. And in order to keep this a secret and to hide the child, he apparently used his influence when the underpass was being constructed and a concealed entrance was included that led to a tunnel. A tunnel. I love tunnels. Get out of the tunnels, Bethan. <laughs> and it was here that the child would hide by day and emerge by night to feast upon unsuspecting passers-by. So that's a lot of effort to go to, really, isn't it? Yeah, to hide a, a bit of an ugly kid. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now, there is a possible tunnel dating back to the 16th century that connects the nearby house called Porter's House. And this was built on the site of a much older mansion, and this now serves as a civic menu and used to be the mayor's, and still is, the mayor's parlour. So maybe that's where the mayor became involved with that one. And as most tunnel tales go, they're supposed to be left over from the days of smugglers and long ago would have eventually connected to the seafront. And some people say they still remember playing in it as children but couldn't get very far because it collapsed at some point. The last private owner of the house was Sir Charles Nicholson and he heard of these tales. So these tales go back quite a way. And he actually excavated the entire garden in an attempt to find this tunnel but nothing was ever found, but it doesn't mean to say there wasn't anything that used to be there and has since collapsed. There's also another smuggler's tunnel from Porters that is said to end at Allian Court Preparatory School, which is itself haunted by a lantern-bearing ghost. And from here, another tunnel leads to the Rose Inn. So this whole area has got a lot of tunnel folklore and legends associated with it. And I looked online to see if there's any modern-day sightings, did anyone know the tunnels, and you can find things on some message boards. So there is actually a really nice story that was on Reddit, and it wasn't on Creepypasta or anything, or someone made it Reddit, up. Reddit, the most reliable of resources. It's a good tale, so I'll share it with you now. So there were a group of friends who were bored and living close to the underpass who decided to go exploring one night, and they knew the story of the rat man, it's well known. Two friends remained behind while the others went out, and after they'd been gone a while, the others became anxious and went looking for them. They found one of them sat on the pavement, shirt and trousers ripped, muttering, I saw it, I saw it. And after a while, they managed to calm him down enough to tell the story of what he'd seen. Apparently, when the, the group of friends who went out exploring arrived at the underpass, they had made a lot of noise trying to get the rat man to come out. After about 15 minutes, they got bored, nothing happened, so they ventured in. And that's when the atmosphere is said to have changed. And they suddenly felt that they were being watched. At the end of the, the other end of the underpass, all of a sudden, when they were flashing their flashlights, they could see a pair of eyes reflected, like animal eyes. They all got panicked, turned and ran. And as they ran, there was a terrible scream like that of an animal and it began to run towards them and they could hear the sound of bare feet coming up quickly behind them. They all managed to get to the end bar one who was crashed into by something knocking him to the floor and it started to drag him back into the darkness and the others grabbed some rocks yeah, Ooh. and started throwing the rocks and the figure let this boy go and they all ran away. They went back later to try and see if there was anything there, and all they could see was some scratch marks on the floor and some blood stains. And they haven't returned there since. Well, you wouldn't, would you? No. <laughs> so, and then there's a, actually an, a, another potential second sighting. Someone remembered when they lived in South End when they were four years old. Said they used to live next to an old industrial site, and it doesn't say where in South End, um, but they saw a creature out of their bedroom window which used to face this yard. Described as average height, wiry, hunched over, standing on tiptoes and covered in dark fur. And there's actually the, this idea of the rat man. You can find it in a lot of different places. Um, does anyone here play Grand Theft Auto? Or <laughs> play Grand Theft Auto 5? See a hand. Have you heard of the legend of the rat man <laughs> that you're supposed to find only on certain times of the night? 
You might want to go back and play it now, because apparently... <laughs> Sorry, <an> Megan. <laughs> there's an Easter egg hidden in the game, and in an underpass at night, somewhere in the map, players have reported being chased by a rat man that many people think perhaps one of the game designers was from South End and wanted to include it in the game. There's also a short film made uh, about the South End Ratman. It's directed by Michael Holliday and was entered into the annual Horror on Sea Festival in 2019. And during lockdown, a lot of the stories were spread around at the time. People found on their cars leaflets with the story of the Ratman. No one knows where those leaflets came from, but they just seemed to be spread around the town. Um, there was an interactive city exploration game designed called Hunting the Ratman, which you could go around South End to try and hunt the Ratman. And Afterlight Comics actually published Folk Tales of the Cryptids 2, in which the Ratman was included in 2020. So it's, it's, one of the, it's a nice way of seeing perhaps how folklore evolves, almost like the Slender Man as well, how perhaps one little nugget of truth gets linked to something else and then someone makes a link with something potentially spooky and then it just keeps rolling and rolling and gathering more especially when children become involved with schoolyard folklore yeah children can be creepy oh i can contest that <laughs> yes i have two of my own who come out with some things so was the rat boy a completely different tale to the rat man apparently the and whole rat family learn. somewhere <laughs> rat mother rat grandfather I was good. Arms. I didn't go, no, 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 no. Well, I'm oh, doing I it now. No, 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 Rat man. Yeah, that's my story, the rat man. What's your story next? Well, this one. This is my, the creepy one. Yeah, this is the creepy one, the one I've been teasing you with for ages. I promise I haven't looked at your notes. <laughs> so, and by the way, I keep on doing the uh, how far this is and where this is placed because my parents complained to me that I wasn't telling people where this was. I was like, it's in Essex got to be more specific yeah good. they need to know the a road basically but i haven't given them that <laughs> so about 10 miles from south end not too far from the infamous canoodon which you spoke about on the last episode um, is the island of wallacey and just to increase the creep factor the river that runs alongside uh, alongside the island is called the roach and it neighbors another island called foulness yeah, it Which, doesn't sound uh, a good area, does paints it? Paints a lovely picture. Mm. But actually, the island's been described as a magical landscape of marshland, lagoons, and uh, ditches and sea. I don't know how you get magical out of a ditch, but on the island of Wallasey stood a house with a dark legend. It was said that the devil threw a beam in the air, and where it landed, he instructed the builders to raise a house. The devil. He the loves devil. getting involved in building work. I know, he's a great architect. It was known as Tile Farm, though it took on the ominous title of The Devil's House. Mm. However, this might be because the original owners had the last name Deville, though there is evidence that nearly three and a half centuries earlier during the reign of King Charles II, it was known as the Demon's Tenement. Mm. Mm. Lovely name. The house was reputedly at one point the home of a witch called Mother Redcap, who died in the 1920s. Mother Redcap was the name given to a few supposed witches, and these women were usually known as alewives. An alewife is a woman who brewed beer commercially, 
And if you look up a picture of one, you're going to find them really familiar. This tale really isn't about Mother Redcap, but I want to say quickly that the church, not particularly happy with women having their own successful um, commercial ventures, spent centuries turning the striking image of the alewife in her tall hat that promoted her business, her broom above the door that signaled that her shop was open, and a cat that kept um, kept the mice off the grain into the cartoon which we know today. Is that where it's from? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, You can actually see images of alewives as witches um, in the old church doom paintings, usually being quite friendly with the demons and devils in quite gross ways. mm -hmm. (laughs) Back to our cryptid, though. Um, Some believe this creature is actually the familiar of uh, Mother Redcap that she kind of left behind when she um, died, and others think it's some kind of demon or strange ghost. Um, So generally, there are reports of sudden temperature drops around the house, the sound of the beating of wings, and the intense feeling of dread. There was one room in particular that that people said caused anyone who stayed the night in to go mad with fear. So much so, it had to eventually be bricked up. But before that, during World War I, a sergeant stationed on the island wasn't at all impressed by the house's dark history and decided to stay in the room um, by himself one night. Stupid boy. Hmm. No one knows what happened to him in that house, as the next day he was found pale, shaking, and flatly refusing to ever talk about it ever again. That's happened a couple of times in stories around here, isn't there? A similar one in Colchester Castle. Yeah, there is one in Colchester Castle. Oh. No, to be honest, I spent quite a lot of time. I mean, I used to work there, so I used to spend quite a lot of time in there when the lights Is that what were happened out. to you? Yeah, that is what happened to me. Mm. Though you're the one with white hair, so... <laughs> <laughs> in World War II, sometime after that, the island was once again under military control since it proved to be a fertile land to farm after Europe was cut off from trade, like it is now. Mm-hmm. One labourer working at the farm fell afoul of its oldest tenant and he suddenly felt drawn into the barn by a voice calling his name. He looked around but saw no one. Again, he heard his name called and he could not see anyone about. Suddenly, he felt the overpowering urge to find a rope. In a daze, he tied the rope around the beam of the barn and as he lifted the noose over his head, he heard a voice above him whispering, Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. (laughs) I practiced that at home, can you tell? Yes, I can. (laughs) When he looked up, he saw something that froze his blood and snapped him out of the daze, causing him to run out the barn screaming. What he claimed to have seen was was thin and ape-like, a black shape with bright yellow eyes and horns, the horned ape of Wallacey Island. Oh. Yeah. And I've just noticed some rather lovely beams above us, if anybody wants to keep an eye out for a terrible horned ape. Might know we're talking about it. <laughs> the house itself managed to mostly survive the bombing in World War II, only to be eventually swept out to sea after epic storms that hit the UK in 1953. So I've got a few theories about this. Okay. The feeling of dread could be infrasound, and I'm thinking the island's probably quite windy. It's off the coast. I'm sure I've heard infrasound can be created that way. Mm. And that can make, also make you hallucinate. Really? Yeah. Ooh, sounds a really fun place to go. <laughs> Apparently, it's a lovely place for walks. I looked up, looked up their um, Facebook group, and I couldn't find anyone talking about demons or anything. They were just saying, oh, look at this lovely boat. Like, <laughs> the cold winds, I mean, I think there was probably a good reason for the sort of drops in temperature. 
And the, the sound of the flapping of wings also accompanied the sort of sighting of this uh, demon ape um, and the sort of terror that went with it. There was also another sighting of, of possible sighting of this creature, um, but uh, it was seen stalking across a field one night, sort of in a rainstorm in the gloom lit up by lightning, but the next day people were mostly claiming it was one of their lost balls, a lost bull? Yeah, a lost bull, like oh. that kind of bull. I thought you said ball. <laughs> yeah, I did mispronounce it. Like. <laughs> the locals believe that the uh, familiar is probably um, the product of devil worship on the property. Do you remember again? You've watched The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, haven't you? I have. You know how when they have a familiar, it's kind of like this horrible sort of black shape and mm. then it becomes like a little animal, apparently... One of the other things that they think that this sort of creature turns into is some white mice, which you might remember from the last episode. Oh, if, I don't know if, if anyone hasn't listened to us before. There was, in our previous episode, we talked about Canudan, where all the supposed witches had white mice. The town was overrun with white mice, white mice familiars. That was a mouthful. Yeah. And we keep finding them around the villages. So that's interesting. It wasn't that far, you said, from Canudan. No, I mean, honestly, I, I looked into that area and it's literally a bombsite of just weird stuff happening. Interesting. Let's go. Yeah, we're going to have to travel down there at some point. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, there's something I forgot about my one with the rat man. We might actually get to the bottom of it soon because they're planning to redevelop that whole site and bring the underpass up to floor level and it won't be anymore so where's the rat man going to go after that down a back alley who knows south end. might haunt somewhere else but i mean has anyone got any questions does anyone know anything more about the stories we've spoken about tonight or does anybody want to tell us something strange <laughs> we will be available in the interval and at the end for a little while we've brought a recorder with us so if anyone does want to share a story anything anything creepy it doesn't matter how big or small we'd love to hear it so come and, and find us you may hear it on the podcast at some point yeah especially if it links to something else but we'd like to take this opportunity to thank Gemma for inviting us on tonight and thank you all for being such a lovely audience and listening to our tales we'll um we'll see you soon yes yeah, see you soon thank you thank you <laughs> Thank you so much. Another round of applause for Erie Essex, please. <laughs> okay, so we hope you enjoyed our live episode. There's a few things we wanted to go over after the episode. Obviously, when we were on stage, we were incredibly nervous and we, we've got bits and pieces here and there or things have cropped up since we've done the episode that we want to discuss. First one being that Rats are now invading toilets in England. Yeah. And I think it's a direct correlation to Bethan invoking the rat man's name on stage. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Or maybe <laughs> he's got wind of what I spoke about at the end. I mean, they are looking at leveling that whole area. And where's he going to go? Up the toilet, apparently. Up the toilet. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, next time if you're in South End and you pay a visit, you might want to check down the toilet first, you know, see a little face poking up at you. I did feel horrible of the origins of the rat man or rat boy are awful. I know, especially if, I mean, as I say, it was either ghost or cryptid. And the I'm, ghost story is 
heartbreaking and probably more likely to be true if there's any truth to any of it <laughs> in which case it's just but the poor kid as well I mean he he didn't ask to be you know born looking kind of strange and probably knowing I mean depending on when it was it wasn't that long ago it didn't take a lot for people to shun you I mean how many people ended up in mental health institutions Mm. but the tiniest thing just because their family were embarrassed I mean lots of women ended up there just for getting pregnant full stop yeah and my mum used to work in a mental health asylum up north and when they were called asylums and yeah some of her stories they're heartbreaking oh I've heard one of her stories I think if we do do an episode on you know where I'm thinking of yes I might get my mum to tell us I mean it's not Essex-based, but someone who but understands. She, didn't she um, encounter quite a famous person? Yes, she did. Yeah. Um, no, spoilers. Uh, and Saffron Walden as well is. Uh, I, I alluded to it in the script as I was reading it, and I, I hope you're able to hear a few titters in the background. But when I was researching into this, and when I was reading it out loud, I realised how much innuendo was in it there's quite a bit of innuendo and was the story told to raise a smile maybe I mean part of me thought maybe the story was a cover for something else oh do tell well you know how 50 to 80 years ago the LGBTQIA community would hide sort of messages to make themselves known yes each other I was wondering whether it was almost like a very early version of that. Oh, like a... I mean, maybe my 21st century brain reading a lot into a, you know, story from 1699. But that's kind of what I took away from it. It it almost sounded a little bit sort of like, come to the Birchwood, you'll meet some like minds here. (laughs) Yeah, well, the story came from somewhere. And, it, you know, as, as much as I'd love it to be a monster that was just chilling out, it probably did come from a more plausible cause. Human source. Human source like that. Yeah. Which is just as wonderful. I mean, sounds like a good place to be. Sounds like it will um, happen. There was also something I read, which I forgot completely to mention, that there are some thoughts that basilisks might actually be a little bit Nessie-like in some um, respects, because some people think that they are a kind of dinosaur that might have survived into the medieval period called a petrosaur. And, and when you look up a petrosaur, they look quite basilisk-like. If you like the, the description of the cockatrice is very like a petrosaur. And I'm sure I was reading, you know, when you just have one of those um, documentaries on the background, which I often do, UFOs or cryptids or anything strange and they were once talking and I need to find it um the correlation between these sightings and seismic activity oh that's interesting when was the earthquake in Essex in the medieval period I'm trying to think hang on I've got my phone somewhere sorry I'm recording this under a blanket so um because I've my headset is not working so I'm trying to keep my head very still while searching for my phone somewhere outside of the blanket. You, you need to see what I can see. I might take a picture. I'll put it on Instagram. <laughs> you can see what I can see. I can't. I'm having a hard time keeping in my face straight. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am not finding my... Oh, got it. <laughs> right. Hang on. Let me look this up then. To be fair, I could have looked it up. I'm not under a blanket. <laughs> I just made you struggle for no reason. 
you just made me struggle because you found it amusing. Mm. It was 1884, so it wasn't medieval. It was um, oh. more recent than that. Oh, there go. Bango's my theory. <laughs> I think we touched on it in the live episode, how close some of these stories are together. So Wallasey and Canudin, Southlands, and, you know, potentially for future subjects, I have been looking at other villages quite nearby. There seems to be a sort of epicentre to strangeness in different areas around Essex. And I think we found one of them, Canudin. There is a story that I was looking at for the next episode, which was actually between the mainland and Foulness. So even more that way. Well, there we go. I think we've not finished with this area yet. (laughs) Definitely not. We should do some uh, shout outs to podcasts we've been enjoying. Do you want to go first? Yes, I'd like to give a shout out to Fabulous Folklore with Icy Cedric. It's a wonderful weekly, I should know this, <laughs> a weekly podcast from Icy who looks at different themes in folklore in Britain. Uh, at the moment, she's just finishing off a really lovely month long look at trees. So just had the ash tree and how the ash tree pops its head up in folklore in different medicinal ways, different potions, different beliefs, portents. And next month she's going to be looking at ghosts. Now, October, you know, it's a good choice. And she's got a lovely, lovely voice. You just hear her start talking and you're like, ah, oh, I'm going to learn something lovely now. And they're about 20 minutes. So it's really nice to have a quick blast of folklore knowledge and then you can be on your way. In a lovely accent. I have listened to a few now and I do, I, I get what you mean. You can just listen to her like all day long. Yeah, I'd, I'd listen to her read the back of a shampoo bottle and I'd be like, hmm, hmm, very interesting. <laughs> yes. And if, like us, you find the month of October a time where you want to feel unsettled, maybe give the Magnus Archives a listen. The Magnus Archives is a fictional podcast. And I don't want to say too much about it to give the story away, but it starts off as a kind of secretive institute that they they are interviewing people who've experienced strange and paranormal activity. A lot of it related to urban legends and folklore, um, and it becomes something more. It has sort of a monster of the week feel and then evolves into a more overarching storyline. Yeah. I won't say more. It's absolutely brilliant as well and just so absorbing. And I have had to put it down a couple of times just because I've been so unsettled by it. Yeah, I'm having a, a Magnus break, but I intend to go <laughs> Come back, back to, it. to it soon. Or try one Indeed. of the others. I mean, mm. Rusty Quill Productions does some amazing ones. So I think one, it's a bit of a rabbit hole. I think once you look them up, you're gone. That's it. That's you <laughs> out of social circles for like the, the English year. version of Grim and Mild. Yes. Yes. Oh, Aaron. Oh, and there's one thing I forgot to do for you, Bethan, on the live show. Probably, but just because of the terror of sitting in front of how many other, other people were there, was I forgot to introduce your story with na 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 Ratman. I also forgot to put in a cheeky plug that I'm in the zine. Yes, you are. Got a painting of Black Shuck, which we will so cover at some point in the future but it is such a big one we want to wait until we got we, we want to make it a good one i mean that shuck and east anglia everywhere that damn dog i'm actually in the coloring book that they um produced as well and they were giving out the events i had two know that. two drawings in there that i did for them earlier in the summer oh lovely well there you go we have we are ladies of many talents <laughs> check it out and you can buy the zine on um, etsy 
So just look up Unfamiliar Scene on Etsy and you can see it. Well, that has been our October episode. And thank you for listening. And it's goodbye from Elsa. And it's goodbye from Bethan. Bye. Bye. If you would like to share a story or have any more information on this episode's topics, you can contact us via email at eerieessexpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram under Eerie Essex for more content from the episodes and sneak peeks at future topics. If you've enjoyed listening, why not consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts? Podcasts.